Welcome to the Positivity Podcast, where we explore the skills and strategies of personal development with cutting-edge researchers, authors, entrepreneurs, and experts. Negotiation. How do you make sure you aren't getting too aggressive but are not giving in? Today's episode stars William Urey, author of Getting to Yes. It's one of the world's best-selling books on negotiation with over 12 million copies in print and has been translated into 34 languages. Yuri is also the founder of the Harvard Program on Negotiation and, along with Jimmy Carter, founded the International Negotiation Network. And as Yuri mentions, we're all always negotiating, so his tactics are relevant if you are about to negotiate a job contract, a business deal, or even come to an agreement with a loved one. In this episode, we talk through a linear process to prepare for a negotiation, the step-by-step way you should understand what you want, communicate it, and respect the other person's perspective. He also shares a fascinating story about how he helped two billionaires resolve a conflict that at the time had been called the biggest cross-continental war room showdown in history. He also talks about how a few hours of preparation can help you make thousands of more dollars in negotiation. And I can say personally, William's insights have saved me tons of stress and worry during the difficult conversations in my own life. I hope his wisdom can be a guide on your side as you pursue your own negotiations. Thank you so much for joining the show. I've been uh, really looking forward to this. It's my great pleasure, Daniel. And I'm also happy that we didn't go into like a really intense negotiation about the terms of, of you coming on the podcast. I was kind of I was kind of worried that that would happen. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not the kind of negotiation I do. It's all for free. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, and so to start off, you know, I'd I'd love to give a scenario because. I think, at least for me, negotiation is kind of a scary thing mm-hmm. because it almost feels like I'm walking on thin ice as I think about it. You know, sure. and I guess when I say negotiation, at least for me, I think about it with an employer, or you know, we're, we're negotiating a contract, or um, just trying to make to come to some agreement on something that's that's really high stakes. You know, thousands of dollars of salary. You know, potentially I own some of the content I create, maybe, I, you know, and so it always kind of feels like it's walking on thin ice because I, I have a fear of, am I overstepping my boundaries where they're going to see me as like as someone who's really selfish and is just like trying to like milk, milk the employer for all they can get. And, you know, just being that. And on the other side, I'm kind of sometimes afraid of being taken advantage of and right. like, you know, I, that's the other flip side. So, um, I'd, I'd love to like, maybe we could start with giving it a, a scenario and, um, of someone who's, so let's say I'm a new, uh, employee. I'm about to be hired. You know, I have some career success, but not too much. They give me the salary number. They give me the, um, what are some of the other things that you've seen to be negotiable? Um, yeah. Just before we go there, yeah. let me go, go back to kind of 
the psychological preparation, right? Yeah. Um, because I think a lot of people have that exact same feeling. Negotiation, up, and they, you get tense. And of course, when you're tense, you don't do your best in <laughs> yeah. anything, right? Whether you're making an app or, or, or engaging your favorite sport. And so, the, so I think the first thing to kind of is we need to reframe the way we think about negotiation. Because okay. the truth is, we are all negotiators. And we've been negotiators since the time we were born, basically. Because in the broad sense of the term, what does negotiation mean? It means back and forth communication. You're trying to reach agreement on some issue, however small. So in that larger sense of the term, if you think about your, your own life and you say, who do I negotiate with in the course of your life? Who do you, who do you engage in negotiation? You, you know, you'd say, well, you know, it's my family, it's my parents, it's my, <laughs> my partner, my girlfriend, my boyfriend. I, I negotiate with my, you know, you know I, I negotiate with my neighbors. I negotiate if I have a job. I negotiate with my boss. I negotiate with my, you know, colleagues, my associates, any partners, you know. You negotiate with virtually everyone. When I ask that question of people, so then if you had to make a ballpark estimate, how much of your time already, just forget about the high stakes negotiation, how much of your time do you already spend negotiating? You know, most people say, hey, it's 50% of my time. <laughs> Think of it as negotiation. But it's a little huh. bit like, you know, there was a play by Moliere where the guy was kind of astonished to learn that all his life he'd been speaking prose. You know, we've been speaking prose all of our life. We don't think of it. But the same thing, we've been negotiating all of our life. So, so, so don't like make it like, oh, I'm a terrible negotiator or whatever it is. You're a negotiator and we're negotiators. And the only question is, and, and if you then think about it and you ask yourself the question, um, you know, over the last 10 years, is the amount of time you, you spend negotiating, is that staying steady? Does it go up or is it going down? Almost everyone says it's going up because what we're doing is we're living in the moment. I call it the negotiation revolution. It's a revolution that accompanies the knowledge or the information revolution, the internet revolution. And it's a revolution in the way in which we make decisions, which is that increasingly, you know, it used to be in the old times, people used to make, you know, the people on the top, the bosses would just give all the orders. And the you'd people have the czar, the you'd have the king. Right, right. And but now, you know, everybody wants to get involved and it makes sense, you know, and especially in the internet age, organizations are increasingly resembling networks. And in networks, the main form of decision making is negotiation, is kind of, you know, lots of people trying. So negotiation to me, at its best, is a form of joint problem solving. It's not about, you know, asking yourself the question of who's winning the negotiation. The fact is, is that the overwhelming number of our negotiations that we think about it are with people with whom we have ongoing relationships mm -hmm. or may have ongoing relationships, for example, in that situation you just mentioned. You know, if you ask yourself, who's winning this marriage, you know, <laughs> your marriage may be in trouble. If you're asking yourself, who's winning this negotiation, if it's an ongoing relationship with a close partner, like a business partner, you're going to form an app company together. If you're asking the question, who's winning, me or my partner? Maybe that's not the right question to ask. The question is, to me, is you really have to, the first thing in negotiation you want to ask yourself is, what do I want? <laughs> you know, 
what is it that I really want? What are my interests here? Like going back to your situation, you know, uh, the job thing. Most of us, you know, we focus on our on the position. I want um, I want a certain salary. That's a position, but the interest, the underlying interest, is what's behind that salary. What, what is it you really want? I mean, is do you want a feeling of like being well paid? Do you want a feeling like this is a job where you can grow? Do you want a feeling of security? Do, what, what, what is it that you really want? What are your priorities? So ask yourself the question of what you really want is the first question. Then the second question to ask yourself that can also, I mean, it seems like an obvious question, but I can tell you that most people go on negotiations and we don't really, haven't really thought through what we really want. We may have a number in mind, but that's not what we really want. That's, that's, that's a possible solution. That's a possible option. But what's the problem? What, what, what are we trying to solve here? And if we, if the second question to ask yourself. Can I ask uh, a question about sure, that go first ahead. question? What do we want? You know, you, you mentioned people don't always know what they want. And I can say being in my mid twenties and meeting so many different professionals, everybody's changing what they want all the time. And the career trajectory is altering. And like, I, I mean, you say it simply like, you know, do we, okay, figure out what you really want. That's, that's so difficult. <laughs> what, okay. what's the, you know, that, that's like, that's, that's right. like a whole podcast series. How do you really get to sort of understanding what you want? And I mean, you, you said you can abstract a level deeper, 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 but what does that process look like in your mind? Yeah, really good question. And that's what, I mean, that, that's maybe one of the main themes of my latest book, which is getting to yes with yourself. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Unless we can get to yes with ourselves, of which the primary question is figure out what we really want, how can we possibly expect to get to yes with others in a good way? And so, um, yeah, so to me, what, what I like to think about is, okay, so in order to figure out what you really want, first thing is you need to take a step back. I, I like to use the metaphor of going to the balcony. It's like we're, we're, we're always on stage, you know, we're dealing with the boss, we're dealing with the partners, we're dealing with friends, whatever, we're on stage. Sometime part of you has to go to a kind of a, a mental or an emotional balcony overlooking that stage, which is a place of perspective, a place of calm, a place of clarity, a place where you can keep your eyes on the prize. Because in today's world, with so much happening, cell phones going off, texts, tweets, all that stuff. We don't have time to, we don't, we don't, we're just always on stage. We're always reacting. And so we're not always acting in our own best interest. So you got to go to the balcony. Everyone has their ways of doing it. Maybe it's uh, some people, I like to go for walks, for example. That's me. I, I live in Boulder. I like to go for walks. But some people, they, they, they I don't know, they, they like to do a workout. They, 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 they like to have coffee with a friend, something that gives you some perspective, just a little bit of perspective to kind of say, okay. Before I go into that negotiation with a boss about or the potential new job, what is it? Figure out what I really want. Take a moment to really think about it. Now, I, I think I think a good example of that, just how taking a step back can help almost reveal what you want, is the sort of classic example of how good ideas come to people while they're in the shower. Yeah, because you're you're just kind of giving yourself space. You're really doing nothing. And there's no pressure from the outside world because like, what are you, I'm, just, I'm just showering. <laughs> and it. it's when you have that space 
that it's not that you kind of decide what you want. It's more that the feelings and the epiphanies kind of come to you. That's why, you know, I have a close friend. Um, he actually runs another podcast. He takes almost all Saturdays off completely without phones, without internet and kind of sits around. Sometimes he'll just sit in a park and journal or like not even do anything. And, and it's because it, you kind of need to almost reboot, like clear your RAM and restart. And so I, I like the, I like the way that you, you framed it, like go behind stage. Don't always be on the balcony. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly it. Take, take that shower because, I mean, that, that's the place also of creativity. I mean, if you're going to come up with great new ideas or think through things, digest things, you need that, that, that time away from being always on, you know, always plugged in. You got to plug, you got you to get out, you got to plug out sometimes. And particularly in negotiation because um, in negotiation – we tend to get reactive. When we think things are high stakes, like you were mentioning before in that situation, what are the classic three responses for high stakes? For high stakes? Either you freeze. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> right, me too. Either you want to flee, you kind of like, hey, I want to get out of the situation, so you avoid everything, or, or you fight. You know? You know, the, yeah. the, the, those are kind of like three classic responses. Now, None of those, if you're dealing with a boss, you don't want to get into an argument with a boss, right? <laughs> you don't want to fight with someone who might be your boss. <laughs> That's not going to do you much good. You don't want to run away. You may, feel like, you may feel like doing every one of these things, you know? If you feel like they're not treating you well, okay, you might want to fight. Uh, you might want to flee or you freeze. But So the thing to do is go to the balcony for a moment where you can then, instead of reacting, you can act proactively in to, to pursue what you really want. And, and one thing, to, one magic uh, sort of technique for getting at what you really want is to ask yourself the simple question, why? And one way you could do this is ask yourself five whys. For example, I was once uh, uh, talking with a software manager, okay, company software manager, and his big problem, he said, is I can't say no to clients. And so the clients are always asking me for customized software solutions. And I can't say no. I find it hard to say no. They're, after all, they're a client. They're an important client. How can you help me? So I said, okay. So uh, let's focus on your why. You know, what is it you really want here? You know, why is it you want to say no in this particular case? And he said, well... Uh, profit. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, revenue. Or he said revenue. You know, we need the revenue. I, we, we, we can't just be spending it. So I said, okay, that's your reason. That, you know, that, that's his thing of why his why is. He says, why do you want revenue? <laughs> he said, well, that's obvious. You know, I, we, 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 need, uh, we need profit, you know. And I said, why do you want profit? He says, well, so we can have, so we can survive as a company. So we can, you know, whatever it is. Well, why do you want the company to survive? So I can have a job. Why do you want a job? So I can put food on the table. Okay. Then, now we got down. You know, it's kind of like layers after layer. Now, okay, next time you're dealing with a client and you have to say, no, remember, I've got to put food on the table for my family. Then that's going to give you the power to be mm. able to say no. Because if you focus on, it's, if it's just revenue, oh, it's too abstract. You've you got to drill down to what's the deepest need of why you need that. 
then you've got the motivation to move in the direction you need to move. That's what we need to drill down into what our deepest needs and interests are if we're going to be able to stand up for ourselves, for example, when it comes to the negotiation about the salary. Because it seems like when you do that, you can come from, instead of freezing, fighting, or fleeing, you can come from a point of strength because you feel solid in that reason. That's it. That's it. And then another very practical question to ask yourself in that question that will also give you confidence, which is very paradoxical, is the concept of negotiation of what we call your BATNA. BATNA is an acronym which stands for your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So what it suggests is before you are going to have that salary discussion with your prospective possible boss, you ask yourself, what is it you really want? What are your key, key interests? And then you ask yourself the second question, which is, if for some reason I don't get this job, how am I going to meet my interests? In other words, am I going to look for another job somewhere else? Am I going to go back to school? What am I going to do? And because, for example, let's imagine you've got that job interview, that job thing, and you're thinking to yourself, I have no alternatives. This is my only thing, my only chance. You know, if they offer you a very low salary, I'll take it, you know. Yeah. But if you've actually th gone through the mental exercise and even, you know, maybe even made a few phone calls and maybe even had another job interview or something, you've got something else lined up. If you've got an alternative, what we, your BATNA, your best alternative to negotiated agreement, if you've got an alternative, you're going to negotiate with more confidence because you know you have an alternative. Mm. So a lot of people don't like to go there. And that's, that's one of the most common mistakes we make is we go into negotiation. We've never thought through our BATNA. And the reason is, is because we often think that's negative thinking. I don't want to think negatively. But BATNA is not negative. It's alternative positive thinking. How, how would it be seen as negative? Oh, you know, I, I don't want to say, well, maybe this negotiation is not going to work out. It's not, it's oh, not, okay. Right? Okay. <laughs> you know, but you, wanna, you always want to ask yourself this question. What if this negotiation does not work out? What am I going to do to satisfy my interests? And then you've got freedom, right? You've got freedom. You've got options. You've got optionality. That's key in negotiation. You always want to keep that optionality. I mean, imagine you're, you're in the job and, you, and it's a terrible boss and they're abusing you and they're making you work over a weekend. They're too hard or whatever. You know, you accept it. Why? Because you think mentally I don't have an alternative. You should always... What's my alternative here? Do I need to take this abuse? No, I've got an alternative. So always in negotiation, thinking through your interests, what, not just the position, not just the number, but what's behind it. What are the deep underlying interests, uh, which are desires, aspirations, concerns that you have? What, what are the deepest things that you need? And then what's your, what's your BATMA? Those two things are going to help you get what you want. One, because you're clear about what you want and because you're rooted, as you mentioned, in your strength. And two is what gives you a sense of strength is knowing you have an alternative. And it's, it's almost like you're distributing your risk <laughs> yeah. because it feels so scary because you, it's like I have, you know, X thousand dollars salary to lose, you know, instead of thinking, okay, you know, 
I'd likely get a job within the next maybe three months if I turn this down. So really it's only X smaller number of salary that would be lost. And it's kind of comparing things in a way that makes the negotiation itself less high stakes. Right. Um, and kind of gives you the reminder that like your life's not going to die if, if this negotiation goes, goes well, as long as it's not a negotiation over your life, which I hope, hopefully none of our listeners <laughs> get to that place. But I, you know, it's, it's funny. I often think about like the difference between like how we think about things, but then how they feel because right. I can often think about the negotiation and be like, okay, you know, my career is going to go fine. I'm talented at least, especially these computer, you know, our audience, the computer programmers, everybody's so talented. <laughs> like the world's, the world's yearning for computer scientists. So even if like this one deal doesn't go well, you still will have alternatives. Right. And, and all of that, it's good. You know, it, it was funny when I was telling you about <laughs> some of the anxiety of negotiation, I was actually feeling it, but I'm feeling <laughs> a little bit more centered now after looking at it this way. That's it. And then that's it. You, you, you essentially lowered the subjective stakes by, by developing about. Then the third thing I think that can really change it is if you don't see it as um, who's going to win. If that's not, you know, that's often how we approach negotiation. Am I going to get taken advantage of? You know, there's a yeah, fear. Yeah. Am I going to take advantage of? But you, what you can do is, or am I being too selfish? Which was your second thing. So you're kind of caught on that razor's edge. It's like either I'm being selfish or I'm going to be taken advantage of. And it's like it's like a yo-yo going back between the two. The way to do that is you got to change that game. And the way to change the game is see it as an exercise in joint problem solving, which is what we're doing is trying to solve a problem here. I've got certain interests. The boss has certain interests. Some of those interests are uh, maybe opposed, like maybe the boss wants to pay a little less money and I want to get a little more. But there's also interests which are perfectly shared, like, you know, like we want, you know, if we work, um, if we work together, do we want to, uh, you know, have a good relationship? Do we want to get this effectively done? Do we want to do this in a way that's, you know, that, that leaves us both feeling good? What's the good of the organization? How much values are going to be delivered to the organization? I mean, there's a lot of common interests, and then there are even complementary interests, things that the boss might care, that you care more about, and, you know, the bo that, 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 that the boss is fine with, or vice versa. And so anyway, if you see it as a joint problem-solving exercise, it's almost like, um, I mean, it's almost like a computer challenge, right? It's like a technical challenge here, which is um, uh, if you could draw a graph, for example, uh, and there's uh, on, on one axis, it's from zero to 10, how satisfied you are with, with the salary negotiation, right? And zero to 10, how satisfied the boss is, right? Now, you could end up with a whole series of possibilities. You could end up with maybe the boss at a 10 and you at a zero, or you at a 10 and the boss at a zero, right? But more likely what we think is it's going to be like a five and a five or something. That's how we think of negotiation. You kind of, we compromise. But what I'm suggesting is don't go for a compromise, not just a split the difference compromise. Go for a solution that is an optimal solution. It, it, it's parade, you know, Pareto optimality. In other words, a solution that's as close to a 10 for the boss and a 10 for you as possible. And the reason that's possible is because 
it's not a zero-sum negotiation. It's not that everything that you give, the boss gets, and vice versa. There's a lot of positive sum elements in, this, uh, in, in that negotiation. You both want to feel good. They're both subjective things. There are ways in which you can add value to the company, and you should absolutely get compensated for the value that you add to the company. But if you add value to the company, the company is going to grow even more. So there's all this potential joint gain. It's almost like, think about the negotiation like, like there's this pile of gold on the table, right? And, and the question is, who's going to get what part of the gold? And oftentimes, we end up with suboptimal agreements, which is we end up each side taking a few pieces of gold, but we leave a lot of gold on the table because we don't, we don't think creatively. And so this is where I think, particularly if you're into computer programming, Think about how do we get the optimal solution, the one that gets all the gold off the table, that, takes, that, it, that, that realizes all the potential joint gain. Let me give you an example. There are too many negotiations that end up like the proverbial negotiation of these two sisters who got into a quarrel about an orange. They got into a quarrel about the orange. Do you know this story? No, I don't. <laughs> they got into a quarrel about the orange, and finally, in desperation, they just cut the orange in half. Okay, One sister takes her half, and she peels it, eats the fruit. The other sister takes her half, peels it, throws away half the fruit, and eats half and uses half the peel for baking a cake. Now you end up, and this is how often negotiations end up, you end up with a half a fruit for one and a half a peel for the other, where if you would look behind the position, you know, of I want the fruit, I want the orange, I want the orange, for why? Why is it you want it? One is more interested in eating. The other one's more interested in cooking. You could end up with a whole peel for one and a whole fruit for the other. That's what you're trying to do in negotiation, is you're trying to, to optimize it and not have all that waste. And that's where, particularly if you're, if you're a computer programmer, you know, you, you, you can think you're looking for efficient solutions, right? So that's, you go into negotiation, think about it. I'm looking for an efficient solution that satisfies your interest maximally and satisfies my interest maximally. Yeah. Then that gives you the leeway to say, I'm not being selfish. I'm looking for the optimal solution that takes into account your needs too. And that also can reduce the stress and make it more like a mathematical problem that needs to be solved. Yeah. You know, it, it, I love that orange story. That's amazing. And, and I'd almost like one-up it, not that it's competitive or anything. But like another story that I think is amazing, you know, you mentioned gold and like, can, right. we, can we make sure no gold is left over? I think there's even like a new plane of agreement, which is like, we could share the gold together. And like, right. and it's like, that's, that's mind blowing. I mean, the, an amazing example from business is I heard a story about when Richard Branson was starting Virgin Airlines, Right. you know, had no experience doing the, the, in the airlines industry. And, you know, buying a 747 is expensive. <laughs> right. And so, you know, he went with, uh, I think it was Boeing or, or one of the airline companies to negotiate the deal for the first couple jets. And, you know, obviously there's a massive trade-off, it's massive cost, there's massive risk for everybody. And, but what they ended up doing was coming to an agreement where he got, he bought the planes and then if the airline didn't work out, he could return them. And so there was literally no risk to him. He probably had to pay like a little premium because there was a little bit of wear and tear. There's literally no risk to him 
they just gave up their planes and they had a, a potential, you know, massive check in the mail if everything worked out. And so, you know, it, it's, it's even not about splitting the pie. It's sometimes about like coming up with an entirely different solution. I mean, for example, I was even with this podcast and make school, you know, it was important for me to own the content and use it how I like, and it was important for them. And so we're like, okay, how about we just both get the MP3 file and we, we both get it. It was like, oh, good. <laughs> you know, and that's like, a, a, that's like a 10-10. That's it. That, that, that's, that's the ideal. That's exactly the target of negotiation is exactly that. And you want to be create, creative. You want to invent options for mutual gain. That's what you're doing. And instead of seeing what we do is we approach that pie as if it's a fixed pie, when in fact, there are ways to expand the pie before we divide it up. And that's the key. And that's, that's what Branson was doing. That's what you're doing. And that's, that's what I consider to be optimal negotiation. So then once you approach it that way, then it's fun. It's kind of like you've got to take a challenge. Ah. You've got to figure out, okay, how do we make this work for everyone in a way that we get a lot more than if we just treat it as an adversarial exercise? I mean, who wants to go into a job, treat it as an adversarial exercise, so the very first interaction you have with your prospective employer is a negative one. It leaves either a sour taste in your mouth because you felt you got taken advantage of. And then what kind of, I mean, you really want to work in a place where you start with that's the very beginning thing, you felt like you were a sucker? Or do you want to feel like, you really pushed it too far and you left the boss feeling strained. So he's going to, because people have all these black books and they're going to remember these things. Is that really what you want? No, you want, you, so what you do is you sort of say, okay, what are my goals? This goes back to what do you want? What do I want out of a negotiation? Number one is I want an optimal solution. You, and you say this to the other side, I want an optimal solution here. I want something that really works well for you guys and works great for us. You know, that's what Richard Branson said to the airlines. Let's make this work for both of us. That's what you said to your colleagues there in the school. Let's make it work for both of us. Then you can take away the selfish business. Then you can take away the feeling of the sucker because you're, gonna, you're protecting your interests and the other side's interests. And then, okay, let's, let's figure this out. And then, uh, so you want an optimal solution. You want a solution that is efficient because, you know, some negotiations drag on and on and on and on and on and on. And hey, we don't have the time for that, right? <laughs> so we want it to be efficient. And the third is we want it to have a positive effect on our relationship, our working relationship, rather than a negative effect. A lot of negotiations strain the working relationship, mm -hmm. right? So you go and you say, I've got these three objectives. One is about the solution. I want it to be an optimal solution. The second is about the process. I want the process to be efficient, you know, and the third is about the relationship. And if we can focus on those three things, that's my objective for this negotiation. That's amazing. I, I've never explicitly said that in negotiations. I've just kind of gone in and, and sometimes feeling tense, the fight, fight or flight stuff. Uh -huh. But it's amazing. Like, if I was a boss and someone came up to me and said that, I think I would feel less tense, <laughs> you know, because it, it's it's on both sides. And so, I guess I guess tactically going in, you know, I'm picturing the situation. You know, I really know my why. I really know my batna. I'm going to the situation. I say these things explicitly. Does it make sense uh, for me to explain my ten and say, here's what's optimal for me? Is that, is that like the, the tactical way to do it? And 
And I guess my, my follow-up question to that is like, there's always like the opportunity. This feels kind of weird saying, but like, let's say like a, a salary is, I think for a typical computer scientist, you know, it's like a hundred, hundred thousand dollars. Like there's always like a, I think maybe it's more of a Hollywood tactic. I'd be here, curious to hear your thoughts on it of going in and, and saying all that and saying like, I think what's fair for me is $200,000 for salary because, um, because X, Y, Z and like, you know, it's, it's a tactic that I think is the reason that I had so much fear going to the negotiation. Cause you know, you can, you can upgrade and be higher and then everyone's working off that. And then there's a bigger chance of saying, Oh, you know, 2000 not work. No, but we'll do 1600. You're like, great. And then you're like, okay, yes, I won. And they feel like they won because, you know, there's like some psychological sort of tactic of working down for my higher thing, you know, like, so what do you, what do you think about that tactic? Is it, is it BS? Is it, is it, well, is it effective? Well, here, so you got to all put it in context. Uh, number one is, uh, it's good to aim high, you know, have, have high aspirations. If you have high aspirations, you're more likely to get closer to whatever. So that, that, that principle, underlying principle is true. Uh, as long as they're realistic. I mean, if you say, I want a million dollars, you know, uh, at some point, whether it's, whether it's 200,000 or a million dollars, they're going to laugh and you're going to destroy all your credibility right there. Right. Uh, so, um, so second thing is, um, is, is how you say it and, and, um, Look, and you go in and say, look, I want this to work for both of us, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, so, so, so you kind of say, I want this to work for, for me, and I want it to work for you. Uh, and if you just go in and just say, I demand 200000 they might laugh, and that's the end of the negotiation. I mean, and even it's hard to recover because even if they say, look, well, <laughs> you know, everyone else is making 100000 whatever, and you say, okay, I'll take 100000 you know, you're not going to feel good about that, yeah. and they're not going to feel very good about it, right? So you're going to start off with a, the wrong taste. But what you can do is you can say, look, um, the, the, the mistake people make is they say, okay, I want 200000 or whatever, and here's why. No one's going to listen to the here's why after they hear the number. <sighs> so you have no possibility of really – because they're just going to hear his justification and their, their nines are going, what? 200,000? This guy's nuts, you know, whatever it is, whatever the thing is. So what you're better off doing is you're better off first saying you want it to work for both sides. And then you could say something like, um, here's the value that I think I can bring to really make the company grow. And you go into that. You haven't named a number yet. So they're carefully listening, Right. Mm -hmm. So that's when you have a chance to persuade them that, in fact, hey, maybe you could deliver twice as much as the average person is already, you know, so you get a chance to explain. And then at the end, you can say something like, so if I figure all the value, it seems to me that the number I come up with that, that, that really translates into the value that I'm going to be able to deliver is somewhere on the order of 200,000. Then you basically establish an upper limit. But you've, 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 you've had all that chance to persuade them of why 200,000 actually is the appropriate number. And you've named the 200,000 not as a demand, 
but as the logical consequence of your argument, mm. and you've said it in an illustrative way, something on the order of, that establishes the ballpark without having to sacrifice your credibility. That makes a lot of sense. And without having to sound like, who is this kid? You know, asking, you know, <laughs> I mean, just off the start, you know, and getting a kind of a negative reaction where they blow you out of the seat. So I'm thinking about how the negotiation could progress. And it's one thing if salary is the item and there's just yeah. like one ticket item. Sure. It's so much more complicated if there's five different things you're trying to optimize for. and Which I'm, is often the case. <laughs> which is often the case. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd love to hear any stories you have of some of those situations, um, you know, I could imagine just for, for the work, you know, there's salaries, there's vacation, there's benefits, benefits 401k, there's working yeah. from home or not, there's owning right. con the content, you know. Right. So, so I think this is, this is again where it comes back to really exactly like owning the content that may be worth much more than the salary. Right. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, um, I remember when, uh, you know, like if, I, if I'm, say, writing a book, right, mm -hmm. with someone and, you know, owning the intellectual property may be worth a lot more than the advance or the thing is, you know, because it's, it's got long term possibilities. So it's like, so I think the thing to do is this is why it's so important for you to be not to get focused on any one number. Because oftentimes we get focused on salary because we think somehow that's the one thing that uh, and you have to understand is is it is it some personal validation that you need you need bragging rights to go to your friends and say I got this amount or whatever it is what really matters most to you um, and uh, is is key and you're it's usually not just one thing it's like many things and which which means that approaching it as a they also have many concerns too. Mm -hmm. They have many interests too, of you know what what they can, how how they can maximize. So this is where approaching it, where you're side by side, sitting on the same side of the table, as a joint problem of how do we maximize the amount of potential joint value here is the right approach, particularly mm -hmm. when it's complex like that. If it, rather than an adversarial approach of where I keep you know I keep all my cards in my chest, so. In, in this particular case, you know, you ought to be, you know, say, well, look, it, it, it matters to me to work from home. Uh, you know, I, I like that flexibility, you know, that's worth something to me. And so you want to make sure that you, that you think about that and you, you ask, you ask for those kinds of things and say, well, okay, if you're only going to pay me, you know, I understand if the salary is a little bit lower than what I thought, but if I can have the flexibility, if I can have some time to work on a side project that might also bring some, you know, value, you know, that's worth something too. I mean, so you really want to just see it that way um, as, as complex. So I'll give you, let me give you an example. Um, uh, but this is kind of a big example. I mean, but I was working with a billionaire, right? Um, who was, had everything. I mean, he had the plane, he had the 740s, you know, he had the, he has the plane, he's got everything in his life, you know, and, he uh, he got into an argument with his business partner, you know, over t you know that ten year business partner, and about who was controlling the company, right? And he had 
Anyway, they got into a big thing, lawsuit. Uh, we're talking about like a dozen law firms all over the world fighting each other, um, spending probably tens of millions of dollars fighting each other. You know, it was all over the papers, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times. I mean, you know, it was everything like, but, you know, just huge. And so it was it had gone on for a couple of years and it was supposed to go on for another eight years because there was a clause that he was going to be chairman of the board for another eight years, right? So I met with him and I, and I said, well, what, I asked him this question, what do you want, you know? And he had his, you know, good businessman, he had his list. I want the stock at a certain price. I want, you know, elimination of the non-compete clause. I want company headquarters. I mean, he had like six, seven things. He said, can you get it for me? And I said, well, listen, <laughs> it's not the exact, I, I want to know what you really want, <laughs> you know? What is it you really want? Because there had been negotiations for 18 months, failed and everything like that. If there's one thing, what do you most want? And we kept on going through this drilling, ex you know, drilling down the exercise that we were talking about. Finally, he said to me, you know what I most want? I want my freedom. Freedom. That's what I want. He got down to his deepest value. And I said, well, what, do you, what, what, what does freedom mean to you? I mean, what freedom it says this thing, you know, was just consuming him, is affecting his family, 150,000 employees you know, divided loyalties and everything. He said, I want my freedom. And I said, he, he wanted freedom to go on with other business deals. And he wanted freedom to spend time with his family, which he said was the most important thing. So I said, okay, I'll work for you. But that's what I'm going to work for you is to help you get you your freedom, right? Then I asked him the Batna question, which is, so who can give you your freedom? Is it really only your adversary who's your former business partner is, is that the only person he, you're basically his hostage or are there things you can do for example to spend time with your family right now are there things you can do to pursue other business deals right now and then he realized yeah you know i could still I, I i even why i have this conflict going on i can still pursue what i really want here and what that did was it freed him up because it freed him up psychologically because this is where you want to be in a negotiation. You want to care, but you, want, you don't want to care that much. And so then when I, when I met with the representative of the other side, he said, so what do you do you know, at a restaurant in Paris? He said, uh, uh, why are you here? I said, the reason I'm here is life is too short. <laughs> That's why I'm here. You know, I was trying to reframe it. Life's too short because here you've got these two guys who are billionaires, who've got everything they want in their life, and they're spending all their life fighting each other. Is this really what they want? And it's, you know, it's, it's affecting everyone else. And so uh, there's clearly got to be a better way to do this. He said, so how would you approach this? And I said, well, if we can just agree on two interests, two values here, then I think we might be able to do something. One is freedom for both, so they can go on with their lives, their business lives, and on. And the second is dignity. You know, so that neither side has, loses to the other. Because, you know, there is that kind of thing of, I don't want to lose to the other. And we get just dignity. He said, okay, so how would that work? And he called me back the next day, we, you know, it was office. And in one hour, we traced out on a one piece of paper, what would be the terms that would mean freedom for both guys and dignity? And, and literally, like a half a page, like, you know, a term sheet. 
Three days later, we had both guys at a law office shaking hands, signing a 70-page legal agreement that that term office began, <laughs> and shaking hands, wishing each other well, press conference, uh, joint press statement, wishing each other well, thing, a joint statement to the, to the thing, and it was over. And, and what my client said to me is, I know he got my freedom. He said, I got, I got almost everything I wanted, you know, even on my list. But, but he said, the most important thing is I got my life back. To me, that kind of illustrated, uh, illustrated the, the, all these points, same points that would be, you know, in a f first level job. And here's, you know, here's, you know, there are a billion dollars at stake, but it's the same, it's the same dynamics. And it's the same kind of questions. What do you really want? What's your BATNA? Can we do this in a way that both sides can walk away feeling satisfied? And you know what? The other guy was also very satisfied too, believe it or not. No one could believe this. Everyone thought this was like going to go on forever. You know, it was like one of these kind of titanic, the Financial Times called it maybe the biggest cross-continental boardroom showdown in, in history, you know. And, and, but, and there are all these experts, but it's just kind of asking the kind of the basic questions that, you know, looking for a different approach to, to the situation, which is an approach that we can all apply now. So it almost seems like in this situation where there's salary benefits going from home, you know, that's like, that's like the shallow water <laughs> of the thought process right. in approaching this. It's more right. of like abstracting it down a couple levels about like right. what you really want. And I can imagine going into negotiation, if you don't know what you really want and like you have all those different components. You can kind of get lost in the negotiation. That's where the fear goes because you're, you're That's it. You, you don't know that freedom and dignity is what you want. You're That's really it. just caught up, and and it's the fear of not getting freedom, the fear of dignity that's right. that's pulling and tugging you. That's it. And so you know, just I'm thinking about how people can frame this in their head. So let's say they've really written down what they want, and they have the Batman and stuff like that, and there are these five terms. Should they you know, say these are the negotiables, these are the non-negotiables. Should they say like, here's the, yeah. the bottom limit I have for each of these? And like, you know, because I'm just thinking of more ways to sure. give people confidence to right. go in. Yeah, so so you, you, you get down to the level of freedom and dignity, right? Then you think, okay, um, then where's my BATNA? Then you, then you invent options for mutual gain. In other words, you look for what are some possibilities that basically meet my interests on those five variables, right? Um, and the thing is, you, could, you can go in your mind and say, well, what's my bottom line on each one of those? But the bottom line is very much determined. You can't determine a bottom line unless you know what your bat is because the bottom line is just your walk away point, right? But if you've got five items, there's going to be trade-offs. I mean, you might, for example, decide, okay, I'm willing for a higher salary. You have to ask yourself these questions. Would I be willing to work... Um, an extra day a week and take a little lower salary and ask yourself those kind of trade-off questions just so you can kind of establish your priorities inside you. But think that through. And I think one very practical thing is realize that if it's a little high stakes and some emotion, particularly like this, do it with a friend or a colleague or someone who can serve as your balcony, who can say, okay, hold on here. I see that you're kind of giving away the shop 
or I can see here that you're kind of being too aggressive or you're being too reactive or you're freezing or whatever. But in other words, use a kind of a coach who could just be a friend. Uh, you know, even like champion negotiators, like hostage negotiators, they never negotiate alone. Why? Because we're all, we all have those fight, freeze, you know, uh, uh, flight reactions. And you need someone who's kind of there, kind of just keeping you, keeping some perspective. So, so, but, you know, do your homework. I mean, really, it pays to prepare, prepare, prepare. Because this is obviously, a, if it's a high-stake situation for you, put in some preparation. Re like you prepare for, if you were going to give a talk, you wouldn't just give a talk off the cuff, you know, a big talk. You'd prepare it. You'd rehearse it. You could even have your friend role-play the situation with you. You know, okay, I'm your boss. I'm saying this. So, so, so that you're kind of, it, it just feels more familiar for you. Um, the other thing you want to think about is really research, for example, like on salary, research, and the internet makes this possible, research the objective criteria, the independent standards of what's fair. You know, what's out there? In, for a person of your caliber and so on, what is the market range? You know, it's a range, but what is it? Really understand what that is because you can bring that to bear when in, in that negotiation when you say, well, it seems to me that someone with my education and my background or whatever you know, they're, they're getting paid this, you know, and, and so you can, you can use that to educate people about what's fair or, you know, most people are working flexibly, you know, so you can understand what are the independent standards of fairness because it's a lot easier for the other side to defer to an objective criterion than it is for them just to give into your will. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And so it seems like pre preparation comes from rehearsing what you want the, the BATNA, that's like the internal work. Um, then there, then there's the role playing. I'd even almost say like a role play of someone who's really tough, <laughs> just yeah. so you can get that practice. You, you Tougher than probably likely. Yeah. Um, and then research just kind of what's typical. I know that at our school, you know, we do a lot on like, here are the skills, here's what the typical pay is. If you had to make like a one hundred, or are there any other things that can be should be done in preparation? Like, what about negotiation, ta like persuasion tactics? Like, does, is that yeah. something? Yeah. Well, 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 one persuasion tactic I mentioned is put the logic before the proposal. <laughs> don't, don't make the proposal the number and then give the logic afterwards, mm -hmm. because they, people don't listen to the logic afterwards. They listen to the logic before you s bring a number. Uh, the other thing to do is you might want to spend, you might not want to go in there and, and put, you know, your demands right on the table. You might want to take a little bit of time to say, before we even get into this, let me try and understand, put yourself, let, just tell you the boss, let me try and understand, um, you know, the, 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 you know, the situation of what it would be. Let me, you get, you get a chance to kind of explore what are you, you tell them what your interests are without giving any numbers and say, look, I'm interested in a job where I feel good, where I feel well paid, where, you know, it's, I, I you know, this and that, this, these are my interests. I want to hear, what are you looking for in an employee? Uh, what, what would be an employee that really maximally satisfies your needs and whatever? So you've got to get a sense of what your interests are, what they're looking for before you start to get into the, into, in, in, th then, then in the second phase, then you can say, okay, 
let's take a look at, at, at what makes sense. And um, so, you know, explore first, then, then propose later, rather than off the bat, this is what I want, you know? So those, <laughs> those five or six things, the really understanding what you want, bat in a role play, research, just understanding the framing. If you had to make a 100% stack bar of preparation for each of those items, you know, what percentage would you give to each? Uh, preparation? Yeah, for uh, like the, the, wor the work in preparation. So yeah, really understanding I, what you want. Like, I, what? I, I, I would say, you know, preparation, well, within preparation, but yeah. let's, let's, let's say, first of all, I would say preparation you know, 75 or 80 percent for every hour you're going to spend talking with those people, spend at least five hours preparing, <laughs> you, know, you know, like a five to one principle. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, then in terms of uh, thinking about within those five hours, I would spend at least um, I'm just off the top of my yeah. head. I'd say at least uh an hour or two on what you want, <laughs> really figuring that out, really think drilling down to what you want. Because after all, the whole, ex whole purpose of negotiation is to get what you want. If you don't know what you want, you know, what are you doing? Uh, I would spend almost an equivalent amount of time on your BATNA, really thinking through your BATNA and asking yourself, can I improve my BATNA um, by getting another job offer, by really thinking through so that because BATNA is power. Batna is confidence. Uh, then I would spend, let's say, another hour on inventing options, right? Um, you know, kind of like looking at what are the five variables and, you know, just thinking about ways in which you can maximize those. Uh, I would spend an hour at least on trying to understand where, what the other side's interests are, putting yourself in their shoes, in the boss's shoes, Right, putting yourself in the boss's shoes, the organization's shoes, understanding what is actually going to deliver value. What are they looking for in an employee? So you know you've got something to give them. And then, uh, and then maybe if you had a little more extra time, then obviously researching the marketplace. But you probably already got that <laughs> from, from talking to them. And then maybe get a cup of coffee and chill for a little bit <laughs> before you that go too. that shower. Yeah, it, it's really encouraging to. I'm def it's encouraging to think that you can go in just feeling comfortable that it's going to go well no matter what because you know what's negotiable, you know what's non-negotiable, and you, it's it's a fun kind of task to try to come together as one. Okay. Can I can I ask some rapid fire questions before sure. we we close up? So you've been with dozens and dozens of people all over the world, or hundreds of all different contexts negotiation negotiating. What are the people who are the top in the top five percent of negotiators doing well that others are not doing, and what are people in the top one percent of negotiators doing well that others aren't doing? Listening, that's something I haven't talked a lot about. But listening, uh, really listening to what the other side is saying. If the other side is saying we can't pay you a hundred thousand because of this, try and figure out why. Because maybe. They're going to give you some clue to say, well, under these conditions, I could, you know, maybe we could pay you more. In other words, really trying to listen to the other side. 
put yourself in their shoes. Uh, that's, that's something that good negotiators do that a lot of others don't. Are there any resources or thought leaders you respect in terms of helping people become better listeners? You know, I really wish I did, but it's funny. It's, you know, we take all these classes on speaking or whatever. We don't really take, we don't take classes on listening. I think it's one of the great deficits. I actually uh, gave a TED talk about listening because I just thought, <laughs> you know, listening is kind of the great unspoken s skill that is really critical to success in life is the ability to listen to others. And it's not just listening to their words, but to what's behind their words. It's mm. not just listening to what's being said, to, but listening to what's not being said. That, um, so, um, but I think there are courses out there on listening, but I don't, I, I, don't, I don't actually, I can't say, oh yeah, there's this great book on listening that, that, I, that I know of, but, I, but we'll, I'm going to look it up. We'll, we'll, link, we'll link to the TED Talk. <laughs> okay. Um, cool. A couple other more rapid fire ones. Um, of everybody who you've coached to have done these principles, what tends to be the common mistakes that they still make? Uh, people um, e either uh, people forget to develop their batna. They they for, we we just they they don't think about their batna. That's a very common mistake. Uh, people in tough situations, it's natural, react instead of going to the balcony particularly in this day and age, you know, you, you, you get an email you don't like, you immediately compose a reply and you hit reply all. And then it goes out to everyone <laughs> instead of hitting save as draft, which is the balcony button, and then, and then taking a shower and coming back and hitting the delete button. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, any, but any other words of wisdom before we close out? Or thoughts? Yeah, I would say... I would say maybe the, the thing is you realize you're, you've been a negotiator all your life. You're going to be a negotiator for the rest of your life. If you can apply the art of continuous improvement and say, look, every negotiation is not just a transaction. It's a chance for me to learn. And so I prepare, but I take a little bit of time afterwards and ask, what did I do that really worked? What did I do that didn't work? What's my edge? What's my learning edge that I want to focus on? I want to focus on being more creative. I want to focus on being a better listener. And then making that the task for, say, the next month. And just putting your focus on that. Because we are negotiating five, six, ten times a day, even, even in small incidents. If we can learn a little bit every week, we can, we can improve our negotiation skills so we end up in the negotiation Olympics. Awesome. And, and you're the one who gives out the medals, right? I would. <laughs> you're going to get a gold. Ah, oh, yes. Yes. I can't wait till they start playing Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, William. This has been terrific. And I have a, a whole massively long page worth of notes. Um, and above everything, I'm just happy the way you frame that last point of how like this can be something that you can be comfortable with and feel like it's a win-win and solid for both people. So thank you so much. And um, I'm definitely going to check out that TED Talk on listening too. Great. A real pleasure, Daniel. And I wish all of your listeners really a lot of success in their negotiations. And uh, may they all be able to kind of expand the pie. And, and, and actually also a lot of it has to do with relationships and keep really good, you know, really 
fun, mutually profitable relationships with, the, with, their, with their partners. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll have to report back how, uh, how they go. So <laughs> Much success in getting the yes. Yes, yes. Thank you. Take care. My pleasure. Bye. Bye.